you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to invite you to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, we're journeying through the book of Joshua uh, in the, uh, going to take up the majority of the summer. And if you um, want to track along with us, we're in Joshua chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 10. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to do so. If you need to borrow one, just borrow it, put it back later. If you need to have a Bible because you don't have one that you can read, grab one of those. It is our gift to you, and we'll be glad to buy more. That's not a problem. Uh, Just one more time to kind of put us all on the same page uh, where we're talking about uh, in history. You know, Bible starts Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Let's not leave out the book of Numbers. Uh, And then Joshua. So God's delivered his people out of Egypt. They've wandered 40 years in the desert, and now they're on the brink of crossing into the promised land. They're on the eastern side of the Jordan over here, and they're coming west to um, come into the promised land. And so uh, that's, that's the uh, scene, if you will, the historical scene in which we find ourselves. How many of you um, like to travel? Let's start there. How many of you, when you travel, you pack, and you um, uh, pack uh, like way ahead of time, like trip two weeks out? you start packing. How many of you are type A like that? Thank you for all of those people. That's my wife. We'll go on vacation. We'll go on some trip, something. Two weeks out, I'm like, hey, we've got luggage in our bedroom. Why, why is this? Well, I'm starting to pack for such and such. Let me say this. She packs our entire family except for me. So however she wants to do it, however she wants to do it is perfectly fine by me as long as I don't, you know, I don't have responsibility. Contrast that with this. Um, a few years ago, I was um, traveling to Germany <clears throat> to speak at a missions conference. Um, and uh, we were still living in Waco at the time. And um, <laughs> Waco has an airport. Uh, it's, a, it's smaller than this room. Okay, let's just put that on record. Uh, so it's not, you know, big thing. We lived about five minutes from that airport. So I was not too stressed about time or TSA lines or anything like that, Okay. Um, but my dad was going to run me to the airport. It's an hour from when my flight leaves. And my dad goes, hey, you ready to go? I'm like, I still got like plenty of time. We're not leaving until like a few minutes. I mean, you know, but I probably should go pack. That's me. I mean, we're, we're going to Germany. I'm going to Germany for five days and an hour out. I still hadn't put anything in a bag. Uh, it doesn't matter how... First of all, anybody with me on that right there? Thank you. Okay, thank you, all of you late packers. I appreciate that. I'm feeling affirmed up here. Um, Whether you start early and work your way through it, whether you start late and hope you don't forget anything, nobody gets to the end, or excuse me, nobody gets on a trip and thinks to themselves, gee, I'm really, really glad I didn't, I mean, I'm really, really glad I, I didn't pack anything. I mean, see, I mean, that, nobody gets to that point, right? Everybody gets there, and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm glad I brought this. Glad I brought all of these things. Packing means that we're going somewhere, that we're getting to do something that we're not doing now. And it may, especially if you're packing for multiple people, it may be a challenge. It may be a hassle. But again, nobody gets to where they're going and regrets packing for vacation. Nobody does. Today, we're talking a little bit, I mean, this, this theme is a little bit like that. We're talking about some things to carry with you as you journey with God. That's the section of Scripture that we're in when it comes to Joshua. And so we're going to start in verse 10. Joshua chapter 1, verse 10. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, 
For within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. The first thing I want to um, make sure that we bring along uh, when it comes to us uh, packing and being ready to go on this journey with God is you got to have faith. Make sure you pack that when you, when you uh, journey with God. is faith. Have faith. Um, Joshua shows up. Again, look at verse 11. Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people. Prepare your provisions. And he starts there. Here's the thing, though. Um, God's commands can often create more questions than they have answers. Anybody with me on that? I mean, just think about this. Joshua had seen this in Moses' life. Um, hey, <clears throat> I mean, hold your staff out. Moses is like, hey, God, I got like two and a half or three million Israelites here. Egyptian army pressing aside and the Red Sea right here. And you want me to hold out my stick? What? This one. In the, in the wilderness, dry place. Speak to the rock. I'm sorry, God. What, what did you say? You, got, you want me to talk to a rock? Great. Pretty sure that's not in any leadership manual that's being published today, right? Or, or a tougher one. Go up to the mountain and look over into the promised land, but you won't cross into it. See, Joshua had seen all of this in Moses' life. And, and here he comes, and he says, Joshua, prepare. He says, prepare your provisions. Prepare? Prepare? How am I supposed to get prepared? How much am I supposed to prepare? Um, what kinds of provisions am I supposed to prepare? Oh, pass through the midst of camp, command them. Prepare your provisions. For within three days. Three days? Three days? Am I supposed to prepare three days of provisions? Or what happens on day four? What am I supposed to be doing right now? I, you know, I, I'm not sure. Th then what? Then I mean, what happens on day five? What happens on day 12? What are we supposed to be doing here, God? We're not 100% sure. Um, then he says, <clears throat> within, you are to pass over this Jordan. Pass over the Jordan, like the, the Jordan River or something else? Am I, okay, I'm, I'm getting this right. In what manner are we going to do that? How is that going to happen? Where are we going to cross? Has anybody scouted this thing out and let us know? Instead, oh, maybe we're going to uh, build a raft or we're going to build a bridge. Is that how we're going to get over the Jordan, God? Oh, if that's the case, if that's how we're going to get over the Jordan, does that somehow affect your timeline of three days? And then how does that mess with, I mean, can we trust you then? Because maybe now your timeline's all messed up and things have slid. How, how God, are we supposed to be understanding this? And then he says, take possession of the land. Take possession of the land. Is there a battle plan? Has anybody drawn this up? Are there any things, I mean, are we just moving in and they're moving out? Like, is there a renter's agreement? Is there anything that we need to know here? What's going on? What if I encounter something that I can't answer or speak to? God, what am I supposed to be doing? Sometimes God commands, bring more questions, but it's not just Joshua. It's not just, how about this one? Love your enemies. But do I get to choose which ones, God? Did I get to bless those who curse you? Okay, is that including traffic, or is that just the people I work with? What if they drop that word on me, you know? I mean, am I supposed to bless them too? And how do I bless somebody who says, bless you? Or do I get to roll out my southernness? Bless your heart. Do I get to do that? I mean, is that the way that I'm going to bless somebody? Um, <clears throat> deny yourself. If anyone wants to follow me, deny, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. My cross? I thought you were the cross bearer. Why am I bearing a cross too? God's commands sometimes create more questions. How do we respond to that? We respond in faith. 
We have faith. Faith trusts that God will work this out. Look at the last phrase in verse 11. You're going in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God, and then he's, listen to what he says, is giving you to possess. Not might give you to possess, not possibly will give you to possess, not in some point, sometime, somewhere down the road, maybe, possibly, it's going to contractually work out to possess. He is giving this to you to possess. Faith trusts that God is going to work this out. Faith, there's this component of faith that says God can work it out. But this faith says God will work it out. And I think sometimes we struggle with people, as a people, we struggle with not with God can work it out because we believe that God's big. We're just not sure he will work it out. We like, um, there's these two kind of components when it comes to understanding God's plan and, and how we're supposed to be a part of it. One of it is, is direction, which way are we supposed to go? The second one is timing. And they're equally important, right? Those two things have to go together. Because if I'm out ahead of God, that's not going to work. Or if I'm behind him, that's not going to work. Or if I'm going the wrong way, that's not going to work. So direction and timing are important. Both of them are. And so when it comes to um, us believing God and trusting God, we're going to trust God that he will work these things out. When we don't, when we don't believe that God will work these things out, one of two things happens. We get either anxious or we get really, really arrogant. Um, anxious becomes the thing where we're like, oh no, what's going to happen? I'm not sure you will work this out. How's it? I'm not sure. God, how's it going to go? And here's what I want to do. Will you open, um, turn with me to the right, to the book of Matthew, the very first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 6. And there's some verses here, and I'm just going to read them, and I will not bring much comment to them. I just want to read them. Matthew chapter 6, <clears throat> starting in verse 25. Matthew 6, verse 25. And if you, if you are kind of... Um, inclined this way. Got to believe that you can, but I'm anxious about whether or not you will. This is the word of the Lord for you. Therefore, verse 25, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you're going to put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Listen to this question. Are you not of more value than they? What's what's the answer to that question? Yes, of course you are. Verse 27, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek, those who don't know God, they seek after these things. But just to be clear, what Jesus just said, when you're anxious, you're acting like you don't know God. That's what it's saying. The Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. When we respond with anxiety to the question, I know God can, but will he? I don't know. God speaks, and his word is, don't be anxious. I've got this. I've got this. The other way people respond in that is they, they go for control. Want to lock in on it. And that's arrogance. That's arrogance. And James speaks to that. This is from James chapter 4. It'll pop up on the screen. Come now you who say, uh, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Isn't that about true? You do not know what tomorrow... What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then gone, vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. People take this, just pause. People take this as anti-planning. This isn't anti-planning. This is saying, God, we're making plans and saying, God, if your will, if it's your will, this is what we're after. We know that you can. We're believing that you will. And so we're trying to make plans as if you're going to. And if we somehow missed it, we'll just let you continue to lead. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance when you try to grab control. All such boasting is evil. Either anxiety or arrogance. When people don't trust God, that's the two primary ways that, 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 that it expresses itself, either anxiety or an arrogance. But faith, faith trusts that God will work it out. So pack faith, have faith. The second thing you need to have is your take with you is you need to take ownership. Look at verse 12. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Uh, just picking you up here uh, a little bit. Uh, in the book of Numbers, um, the, the tribe of Reuben and the tribe of Gad and then the, um, half of the tribe of Manasseh, they said, hey, look, we're, we're, far, I mean, we're uh, uh, ranchers and stuff. We've got cattle and sheep and stuff. This land is good. Let us just stay here. And, of course, it caused this big tussle. What do you mean? You don't want to go into the promised land with the rest of us? You too good? You're going to live over here? And on and on and on. And, and they said, no, no, no. We'll go and we'll fight with you. But just let our people stay here. And the Lord said, that's a good plan. So that's, that, was, that was the promise that they made. And so that's what Joshua was reminding them of. Remember the, word that the Mo, excuse me, remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Verse 14, your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, east of the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over, armed before your brothers, and shall help them. Take ownership. So essentially it is this. What we said we're going to do, we're going to do. 
we're going to do. And so this breaks down into both individual and corporately. And so the first part is you got to own what's yours. Own, I'm going to own what's mine. When we talk about taking ownership, I'm going to take responsibility for what's mine. In this case, they're saying, hey, here's, here's the promise that we made, and I am going to own that. I am going to participate in the ways that I said I was going to. I'm going to be a person of my word. We will do what we said we will do. Part of this is faith because they're leaving behind um, their, their family and their livestock and their kids and all that kind of stuff. They're not sure Johnny's going to pass the math test because they're going to be gone. Part of this is faith. God, we believe you that, that uh, um, you're going to take care of our people. Part of it is obedience. The part that's obedience has said, we promise, and so we're going to fulfill our part of that promise. And here's the question. Did it cost, us, did it cost them something? Yes, it absolutely cost them something. Um, it, from Genesis, the, I mean, excuse me, not Genesis, Joshua, from the end of Joshua until chapter 22 of the book of Joshua. The Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh are at war alongside the rest of Israel. So 20-something chapters they missed out on. 20-something chapters they were away from their families doing what God said uh, that they needed to do. Here's the question. Did it cost them something? Yes. Would it have cost them more had they disobeyed? Yes. Always. The cost of obedience and following Jesus is high. The cost of not following him is always higher. Anytime that we choose disobedience over obedience, it ultimately will cost us more. It ultimately will cost us more. It may not feel like it. We may not reap the consequences immediately. It ultimately will cost us more. The temptation for the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh was to say, hey, I'm going to love my comfort more than I love what's right. And listen, God would have judged them for it. The temptation is suburbia, to love your comfort more than you love what's right. Guess what? God doesn't get happy about that. In case you didn't know, you were hidden under a rock or something this week. My beloved alma mater made the news this week, Baylor University, for all the wrong reasons. Um, Horrible situation on campus. Terrible, terrible scenario that, that unfolded there. The temptation is to say what? We're winning football games. Let's just leave things the way they are, and maybe we'll pick a fall guy and then scoot him out the door. It, it's horrible enough when devastating things happen to young women on campus. It's a horror of a completely exponential kind when those devastated women are then dismissed by the university. Are you proud of your university? No and yes. No, it should have never happened in the first place. Yes, in the sense that they chose to do the hard thing, the right thing, and try to make things right after, I mean, as soon as they could, when they could. Somebody had to step in and say, hey, we're not going to tolerate this. We're not going to choose comfort or ease or winning football games. We're going to choose what's right. Here's the thing. This is a parable for you and for me because you and I are these people. You and I are the ones who are not perfect and mess up. And the question becomes, do we hide from all our stuff or do we own our stuff? Because when we hide from our stuff, that stuff continues to fester and grow and causes problems in all sorts of areas of life. When we embrace our stuff and say, listen, we messed up. This is my stuff. I'm going to own this part. It is at that point that we can begin to seek to do the right thing and actually get freedom and healing and all these things that Jesus promises us. It's a parable for us. When we own our stuff, when we say, hey, I'm not perfect. 
Believe me, I'm not perfect. When we say uh, uh, we, we messed up, we can own that, and then we can seek to do the right thing. Own what's mine. Secondly, it's not just individually, though. We also have to own what's ours. Look at the end of verse 14. All the men of valor among you shall pass over, armed before your brothers, and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. See, they, they had cities. They had a place to live. And God's saying, hey, you promised, and so you're going to go to war and participate in all this and do these things That's until they also have it, until they have um, what you have. <clears throat> Continuing on. Until the, verse 15, until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you, and they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise or in the east. So we not only own what's mine, I, but we also have to own what's ours. When we're, we've talked about this before, but when we believe the gospel, uh, when we put our trust in Jesus, it not only creates a new person, it creates a new people. And so we have a responsibility, we have an ownership, if you will, in one another's lives. That's why we talk about this as a church family. And if we have ownership in one another's lives, then we also have responsibility in one another's lives to see what's best come about in one another's lives. We're responsible for one another. I am my brother's keeper. You are too. I have responsibility for you. You have responsibility for me. This is the way the Christian life works. Um, we work to... to uh, Encourage one another to what toward what is best. Even, even when they spoke to Joshua, when they responded to Joshua, look at the end of verse 18, the very last sentence before chapter 2 starts. When they spoke to Joshua, they were even being encouraging. The very last phrase, only be strong and courageous. That's what he said. How many times has Joshua heard this now in chapter 1? Three times from the Lord, be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and courageous. And now from his very own people, be strong and courageous. He's, they're speaking uh, the word of the Lord to each other. They're saying, hey, I'm not only going to own what's mine, but we, we collectively are going to own what's ours. And I got to thinking about our church. I ran across this um, this week in, our, in my preparation and study. Somebody said it, and this guy quoted it, but there's four kinds of churches. One is a museum church. It's beautiful inside, but you don't touch anything. One is a maintenance church. They're in the business of just making sure the doors are open and the lights are on. One is a ministry church. Um, that they, they program everything so that any consumer of religious goods can come in and find something that they like. And then the last one is a mission church. A mission church says, hey, we exist for something more than ourselves. And therefore, we're going to respond and live like we exist for something more than ourselves. Church family, I want to be that kind of church. I want to look around and say, we are surrounded by lost people, people who do not know Jesus, and if they were to die today, would spend forever separated from him. I want to take responsibility for them. We are going to own that. This is, when we talk about owning what's ours, we're talking about that, because you have relationships, you have opportunities. You have um, doorways, if you will, that God will open for you where you can step in and bring the, king the kingdom of God to bear in the lives of uh, the, the person at the grocery store or the person in your classroom or the person in your cubicle or whomever it may be. 
You have responsibility for that. And we collectively are cheering one another on and saying, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Let's see the kingdom of God come in these things. We want to own this. To say, we're taking responsibility for these people who are around us. We want them to know God. We want them to respond to Jesus and follow him. We want their lives to be transformed as our, life has, our lives have been transformed. So there's a specific application here. I, just, I was thinking about that this week. Um, you know, the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they found their rest. And they left their rest to enter into something, to enter into the fray, if you will. Some of you have found your rest. Speaking specifically to some of you uh, more seasoned people, retired folks, some of our senior adults, you found your rest. And here's where I, as a pastor, am pleading with you. There's so much to be done here. There's so much to be done. Um, we have young people and young couples in our church. Some of you older people listen to me. We have young people and young couples in our church who need your voice of wisdom in their stage of life. And they don't know that they need it or they won't go asking for it or they're not sure who to ask or maybe they're too embarrassed or a hundred other reasons. But if you see them in the hallway and lock elbows with them and go, hey, I'm having a cup of coffee this week and guess who I'm having it with? With you. And all I want you to do is tell me about what's going on in your life. They will go Nuts, ballistic. We have people who need mentors in this church family. We do. Senior adults, what if you were the ones to lead our church family, to set the temperature of our church family in the area of prayer? Collectively, you got together and prayed. Personally, you got together and prayed. You emailed people. Hey, listen, what can I be praying for? What if, what if you were to lead our church family in that way regarding prayer? Are you, you've obtained your rest? Man, step out. There's stuff still to be done. There are things to be done here at the church, service-wise, where you could step in because free time, I mean, time is a little more free than for some others. You could step in and serve in some way. So... Listen, if you're thinking, oh man, he's up there fussing, this is not me fussing. I promise, this is me pleading. Say, some of you are at a point and we could really use you. And you may be a Reubenite or a Gadite or part of the half-tribe of Manasseh. But listen, God still has a promised land in some people's lives that he's going to conquer. And he's going to use you to help do it. So let's jump in on that. Okay, let's jump in on that. Own what's mine, own what's yours. Last thing you need to make sure is in your baggage when you go, make sure it's in your luggage. You want to have faith, you want to take ownership, the last thing you want to do is say yes. Say yes, look at verse 16. And they answered Joshua, these, these tribes, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh. They answered Joshua and said, all, that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Now mark that. All that you command us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we have obeyed Moses in all things, 
so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Two things about saying yes. Number one, it's got to be a total yes. Did you see all those total words in there? All that you've commanded, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. As we've obeyed Moses in all things, so we're going to obey you. Whoever rebels and whatever and against whatever you say, they're in big trouble here. So a total yes, a total yes. Um, nothing then is untouched by his authority. What we tend to do is try to compartmentalize things. Uh, God, here's your box in my life in which you fit, and I'm going to make sure that you just stay right there. And it's Sunday, so I'm bringing you down. It's Wednesday, I'm bringing you down. It's Tuesday, Bible study, I'm bringing you down. Whatever. But we just keep God um, locked up, if you will, or appropriately uh, placed in his box. He doesn't touch the way that we relate to our money or that we relate, the way that we relate to our spouse or our kids or our sexuality or any number of other things. He doesn't touch the way that we relate to our job or whatever success may come our way. He doesn't touch those things. Why? Because God's in his God box. That's where we put him. That's the problem, is that God doesn't fit in a box that you and I create. If he doesn't dwell in a temple made by human hands, he darn sure doesn't live in a box that I made for him. So here's the thing. Um, there are no compartments. When it comes to this, all that you've commanded, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. As we obeyed Moses in all things, nothing then is untouched by his authority. Every relationship is under his authority. Every dime that I make is under his authority. Every bit of my personhood, um, all of the success that I have, any job situation that comes up, uh, sexuality, even the shame that comes from my sin in the past, all of that fits under his purview. All of that is under his authority. Most of us try to compartmentalize our life for two reasons. Number one, we want control. We want to stay in control of a certain area of our life. So we wall it up. Here, God, you can have all the rest of that, but this stuff is mine. I like this stuff. I'm going to hold on to it. How does that end up for everybody? Everybody. Either they're... I'll come back to that. How does that end up for everybody? It always ends up poor. If it's not control, then this. God, I'm walling this part off because I don't want you to see it. I don't, I, I'm ashamed of it. Like if you really saw what's in here, you know what would happen? You would go running and screaming for the doors, God. Can I just offer this to you? This is what the gospel means. He has seen that part of you. And he still came towards you. He has seen your sin and your shame, and he has moved towards you. He has seen the worst part of you, and he's reached out his arms, not with fists locked, but to embrace you. He has moved toward you. He has looked at all of your junk, all of your stuff, all the sin and all of the shame, and though you want to wall him off from it, he says, I already know about all of it. I know how broken you are. I know your past. I know all of that stuff, and still, and still, I chose to die for you, and I love you, and I rose again so that you would have victory over that stuff. You don't have to carry that sin and shame anymore. I died for that. Why in the world would you be toting that stuff around? That's what the gospel is. He's, he gives new life to everybody who puts their trust in him. You don't have to wall him off or try to keep him away. The gospel's already out of you. It's already done that. So a total yes, a total yes. When I put my yes on the table, the tendency, though, is to go, ooh, yes, oh, no. Yes, no, no, yes, no. And so it's not just a total yes, it's also a certain yes. Look how seriously they took it. Verse 18, whoever rebels against <clears throat> your commandment and disobeys your words, 
Whatever you command him shall be put to death. Whew, that would make an interesting small group conversation right there. Oh, you know, whoever rebels, we're going to put him to death. Oh, okay, we take it seriously. Here's the point. They took their obedience seriously. Do you? Do you? But because when we have uh, this, the opportunity to follow and, and to put our yes on the table, the temptation is to draw it back and go, ah, not, oh, yeah, no, yeah. And God doesn't play like that. Jesus said it this way. Um, Whoever puts his hand to the plow and then looks back, he's not fit for the kingdom of the heavens. God's saying a total yes and a, a certain yes. A certain yes. Because what, what if, what if we're running and we get tired and we're like, I just can't do it anymore. And we took our yes off the table and we figured out that the finish line was just right there. What if we quit right before we crossed the finish line? Or worse, what if we put our yes on the table and then got distracted by something and so took it off and started pursuing something else um, and ended up never getting that thing that we spent so much energy pursuing. That's a story played out in American culture over and over and over again. And the only story that's sadder than that, that a person spent his or, his or her entire life pursuing something that they never got, is the person who pursues something and they get it and they figured out that it wasn't worth the price that they paid to get it. So not just a total yes, a certain yes, God. You have my yes, and I'm going to leave it there. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? A certain yes. It says, God, no matter what, my yes is still there. I'm not going to take it back. I'm not going to take it back. And then he closes with this, only be strong and courageous. Why do we keep hearing this? Because we need to keep hearing this. If we're going to put our yes on the table, we need to be strong and courageous. If we're going to keep our yes on the table, we need to be strong and courageous. If we're going to stare down some of the things that we're going to stare down this week, you know what we're going to need? To be strong and courageous. If we're going to speak in the ways that we need to speak this week, you know what we're going to need? We're going to need to be strong and courageous. If we're going to do the things that need to get done, the right things that need to get done in the right moment, you know what we're going to need? We're going to need to be strong and courageous. So God this morning is saying to you and me, have faith, yes. Yes, absolutely. Take ownership. Yes. And then put your yes on the table. And don't ever take it off. Don't ever take it off. Be strong and courageous. Let's pray together.